Saints, uh, how would you, if you were to define beauty, how would you define beauty? How would you uh, define beauty or what is beautiful? Webster's Dictionary is a good place to start, and it defines beauty as the quality or aggregate of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or pleasurable exalts the mind or spirit. In other words, beauty, according to Webster's Dictionary, is the qualities that make up the person And these qualities that make up the person is what allows them to be beautiful. And I think that's a fair uh, assessment if we consider what beauty is. Uh, When we consider other qualities in people, uh, we tend to say that that person is either lovely or that person is hideous. Let me give an example. If we know someone who is constantly and consistently nice and sweet uh, as many as as many as you many of you ladies are in this in this church, and some of you men as well, but ma- majority of you ladies are nice and sweet. We would say that that is a beautiful person. That's that person is a beautiful person. We may say that that person has a a beautiful heart, uh, a beautiful personality. Some of you like the language of a beautiful spirit, and of course, uh, we can look at people. And based off their appearance, we can say that that person is beautiful, right? Um, but beauty, in many ways, is subjective to us and how we see what beauty is. What's beautiful to some might be hideous to others. Let me give you an example. When uh, you sometimes... Uh, when we were in Los Angeles, me and my wife, she likes to go to this place called the Getty Museum. Um, and the reason why she likes to go is because you know, she likes to take pictures and we like to walk around because it's overall it's a beautiful place. But inside, the main, peop- main reason why people go is they go for the art. Um, and one time we walked around and we scrolled and we looked at all the art and I didn't understand any of the artwork. And to me, it was just weird and dumb. But to some people, they go and they see that artwork as beautiful, as amazing, as as uh, glorious. To some people, a newborn baby is a beautiful thing. But to some people, an aborted baby is a beautiful thing. To some people uh, who like sports, um, boxing is a beautiful sport. Or basketball is a beautiful sport, but to some people, uh, they hate basketball. They can't stand boxing. They, they don't understand what's going on. So our taste in beauty uh, typically relies on our own subjective uh, feelings and how we perceive what beauty is. But saints, I have to ask, is there a beauty out there that transcends our tastes? Is there a beauty that goes beyond what are what we define as beautiful? Is there one who goes beyond what we like and what we dislike, and we say that this person, this thing is simply beautiful? No matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone's opinion is, this person is beautiful. And for the Christian, the one who is the most beautiful to us is unquestionably the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is the most loveliest to us is Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing about Christ being most lovely to the Christian is not simply his appearance. For we read in Isaiah 53 that uh, there was no appearance that would draw people to Christ. His appearance wasn't something that was lovely. Uh, When Christ was walking on the earth, they didn't say, man, look at that glorious man right there. That is the God man who's going to save us from our sins off of just appearance alone, right? But we see Christ as beautiful for what he has done, but also who he is. He is the God man. And what he has done, he has saved us from our sins. And what we come to in the Song of Solomon chapter 5 is the bride is searching for her husband. And as she goes along the town searching for her husband, uh, 
these daughters of Jerusalem approach her and they ask, who is this one whom you're searching for? Who is this one who has caused you to be lovesick? What is he like? What is his appearance of? And what we see in verses 10 through 16, one of the most beautiful descriptions of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We see Christ's beauty and his loveliness put on all display. So saints, if you have a Bible, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And we will be reading uh, chapter 5 of the Song of Solomon, verses 2 through 16. Verses 2 through 16, the Song of Solomon. It reads this. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How can I put it on? I have bathed my feet. How can I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul felled me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took me away. They took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him I am sick with love. But what is your beloved more than another beloved? O most beautiful among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? Verse 10, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on the basis of gold. His appearance is like Liban, choice as the cedars. His mouth is the most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Saints, you may be seated. What we want to do is we want to consider these, these verses uh, in the Song of Solomon, and we'll do that in two points. Number one would be is the search for Christ. The first point is the search for Christ. And the second point, the beauty of Christ. The search for Christ and the beauty of Christ. The search for Christ and the beauty of Christ. And uh, before we begin, it is extremely cold here. So uh, let's, are you guys okay? Is it cold? Is it hot? Raise your hand if it's cold. Oh, just a little bit, not a lot, because there's some people that like it cold, so just a little bit. But my hands are really cold. Um, okay. The first point, the search for Christ. Anthony, try to uh, edit that out, that part. The search for Christ. And remember, saints, uh, as we read the Song of Solomon, if you were with us last week, um, the Song of Solomon is is to be read uh, allegorically, meaning it is to be read about Christ. When we, when we read uh, of the verses or when we, when we speak of the Song of Solomon, we, we see this, this relationship between a bride and a husband. But it's not simply about a historical person who is a bride and an historical person who is a, uh, a husband. Uh, but when we read the Song of Solomon, it's to be read through the eyes of Christ. We are to see that the bride represents the church and the husband represents Jesus Christ. And as we consider these verses, I want you to imagine that you are the bride. 
And I want you to imagine that Christ is the husband and you are searching for this one. And then you, when one asks you, how do you describe this one? Uh, you set forth uh, to describe your husband in the most beautiful of language and, and poetic of language. So let's consider the first point. That is the search for Christ. Saints, what are the marks of a Christian's faith? If we were to compile a list of what marks out a Christian, uh, what would we say? What are some of the characteristics of true believers in Christ? I think all of us would want to know, right? (laughs) How do I know that I am of the faith? Well, first and foremost, you know that you are of the faith if you have repented of your sin and if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And if he has sealed you with his Holy Spirit, apart from any of our works, anything that we can point to and say, this is how I know I'm a Christian. We must look to Jesus Christ and his perfect work and 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 detach ourselves from anything that we can think of uh, as far as gaining a perfect merit before holy God and and gaining access to his throne room. So how do you know you're a Christian? How do you know that you're of the faith if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he has sealed you with his Holy Spirit? Secondly, we can say that true believers uh, join the local church. That true believers in Christ join the local church. And I think the Bible gives us an ample amount of evidence for the proof of church membership. And you can look to Hebrews 13, 17, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 6 through 7, or, uh, and this is, I think this is a really great argument, you can look at the Great Commission and you will see uh, the proof for church membership. But what we see in the Bible consistently is those who have been united to faith uh, or have have been united to Christ by faith also unite themselves with others of the faith. If you have been united to Christ by faith, then you unite you unite your faith with others faith in the church. We can say that true believers live a daily life of repentance. Live a daily life of repentance. Um when we uh Ask during that time of confession. Uh, I pray that you are taking that time and you are using it to your uh, most advantage. That's not a time for us to to pause and simply uh, uh, get get lost on our own thoughts, but it's a time for us to confess to our holy God that none of us are exempt. Myself, anyone is exempt from confessing to our God our sins and and wanting and desiring to be cleansed from what we have done. Martin Luther has said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. When Christ says repent, it's not simply just a once, uh, once, uh, uh, in a moment or once in a time repentance, but it's a daily repentance. Every single day, every single hour, we are to repent of our sins. The Christian is to live, saints, at the foot of the cross, and we are to remain beggars of God's grace. We are to remain beggars of the grace of God and live every day at the foot of the cross. And as we come to our text this morning, we see one of the marks of true believers is this. True believers seek Christ. True believers seek Christ. Consider with me verses 2 through 8. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew. My locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How can I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How can I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped With myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me. When he spoke, I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me. As they went about in the city, they beat me, they bruised me. They took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. If you find my beloved, tell him. That I am sick with love. The saints, 
This is the language of intimate love and desire. In these seven verses, we are given the glimpse inside the heart of the bride. It's as if uh, the scriptures by the, the Holy Spirit opens the heart of the bride. And, and we see the true love that the bride has for her husband. We are given the opportunity to see just how much the church loves Christ. If you want to see how the church, in what ways the church loves Christ, what is if we were to open the heart of the church, what would we find? We would see this. We would see that the church has a longing, has a desire for her husband. And in the opening verses, we see that the bride has fallen asleep. We see that in verse 2. But notice this. But notice that the love for her husband has not fallen asleep. Although that she has fallen asleep, her love for her husband has not. Verse 2 says, I slept. And how beautiful is this? But my heart was awake. I slept, but my heart was awake. It's to say, although I was asleep, my heart remained aflamed for my husband. My heart continued to beat for my husband. And notice the language of the husband toward the bride. Verse 2, open to me. This is the husband speaking. Open to me as he is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. This is beautiful language as a not saints. And this is the language of Christ to his church. This is the language of the bridegroom toward his bride. He says, my sister, which speaks of the intimacy of their relationship. And the term sister in, in these days was a term of affection that a husband might use toward his wife, as strange as it might sound, but it was a term of affection. Secondly, he says, my love. This speaks of the special place she holds within his heart. Thirdly, he says, my dove. This speaks of the special peace that permeates their relationship. Christ and the church are in a joyous, peaceful, glorious relationship. And fourthly, he says, my perfect. This speaks of the purity of their love. The love between Christ and his church is most pure. Christ loves his church saints. Christ loves you. And the church loves her Christ. We spoke of this last Lord's Day, that the love that exists between Christ and the church is mutual. It's not as if we love the church, we love Christ uh, in an abundance of ways, but Christ loves us in, 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 in not so many ways. We, we are not like alfalfa, and I, and I used this analogy last week where he says, uh, she loves me, she loves me not, or Christ loves me, he loves me not. But we are to consider, when we consider the love of Christ and his love for the church and our love for him, it is mutual. It is reciprocal. And as we move on in our text, we see that the bride gets up from her sleep to open the door for her husband, but her husband is left. It's as if the bride took too much time to open the door for her husband. Verse 6 says, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul felled me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The bride's desire to be with her husband is to be a mark for us as believers as well, saints. In other words, true believers seek after Christ. True believers, if you are a believer in Christ, then you seek after Jesus Christ. And the Bible commands us, saints, that we are to seek Christ daily. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not things on this earth. The Apostle Paul exhorts, uh, exhorts those, those Colossian Christians, but all, also uh, as well as us, that we are to be heavenly minded. Now the, now the argument against that is, well, you aren't to be so heavenly minded that you're, all, that you're no earthly good. But saints, that couldn't be further from the truth. I love what Jonathan Edwards says. He says that you will never be much use in this life if you don't have a healthy obsession with the one that's to come. You will never be good. You will never be of much use in this life, in your earthly life, 
if you don't have an obsession with your heavenly life and what you will be in heaven. You are to be heavenly minded if you are to be any earthly good. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. But saints, we have to ask, what does it mean to seek Christ daily? We know we were commanded we are to seek Christ. We are to seek him daily. But what does it mean to seek Christ daily? Well, it means that we are to continually seek Christ. It's a daily seeking of Christ. It's not simply we go to church, we don't read our Bible throughout the rest of the week, and then we come back to church to get our next fix. That's not seeking Christ, saints. Seeking Christ is reading daily, praying daily. If you have, if you have a Psalter, read the Psalms and sing them. If you are, if you have hymns, sing the hymns to yourself. Seek Christ. Speak of Christ to other people. That is seeking Christ. It's a setting a mind and heart on God. It's putting God above all things. It's a conscious fixing and focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. And saints, how often or, or how do, how, how, how much do we need to hear that in our time of day? There's so much going on in our lives throughout the week and our minds are, are so fixated on what we need to do concerning kids, concerning our job, concerning our bills, concerning all the other things in this life. And typically, we tend to give Christ uh, our time, the most of our time, before we're going to go to sleep. That's when I'll give Christ all of my time. But saints, that's not what we are commanded here. We're, that's not what Paul exhorts us to do. It's, it's every single day, every single second, every single hour. We are to be thinking of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Us as Christians, we need to do that in order for us to be uh, proper in this society. In order for us to, to be proper humans in this society, called out ones, we are to be heavenly minded. We are to be considering Christ and what he has done. Our mind's attention is to be toward God. Our heart's affection is to be towards God. When we seek Christ, saints, it's allowing Christ to have every chamber in your body and mind. It's allowing him to have all of you. Seeking Christ is a desire to read and know more of Christ. We are to read our Bibles, but we are to read as well other books that speak of Christ, other works that speak of Christ. We are to know more of our Christ. It's a desire, saints, to commune with Christ in prayer. When we pray, we're not just praying to an imaginary God, but we are praying to the triune God, the one who is three and three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not allowing saints, when we see Christ, the pleasures of this world, to compete with the infinite joy that is found in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to seek Christ. Now, I'm not saying uh, we are to never go to a movie or we're never to watch a basketball game and give our attention there. We're, we're, we're not to uh, we're not to go out to a restaurant and eat good food and contemplate on the goodness of the steak and the mashed potatoes and all that. You are to do that. That is, that is of your Christian liberty. But those things don't take precedence of your mind. Saints, I oftentimes when I go out to a movie or to a restaurant with other Christians and other people, uh, what's the first thing you do after you get out of the movie? You talk about the movie. What's the first thing you do after you uh, eat that wonderful steak and mashed potatoes and that large Coke? You leave and you talk about the food. Well, how much proper is it, saints? When we leave church, we speak of the heavenly food that was that was poured out for the congregation through the mouth of the preacher. How proper is it to speak of our Christ after we have read, after we have listened to a sermon? We are to be remained uh, coram deo in the face of God every single day. Charles Spurgeon sums up how to seek Christ nicely. He says, he says, meditate upon his spotless character. Review the sufferings which he endured on Calvary. Follow him into the grave and from the grave to the resurrection and from the resurrection up to the stairway to his triumph throne. Let your souls dwell upon each of his offices as prophet, priest, and king. Pour over each one of his characters and each uh, and every scriptural title. Pause and consider every phase of him. And we have done this 
begin again and yet again. When you have meditated on your Christ, when you've considered his threefold office, when you've considered his person and work, you do it again. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. That is why we preach to you the gospel. The same, if you don't know the message of, of, of me and Antonio, it's the same every single week. It's Jesus Christ. You need to hear Jesus Christ. And then when you get tired of hearing of Jesus Christ, you need to repent and hear Jesus Christ again. He is the sum and substance of preaching. He is the sum and substance of the word. He is the sum and substance of the gospel. Jesus Christ. So saints, when we are, since we are to seek of our Christ or seek Christ, where do we look? We are to seek Christ daily, but where do we look when we want to seek Christ? Well, the first place we look is God's word. We have to consider God's word. If we want to find Christ, if he is there to be found, then we must seek, or we, the first place we must look is God's word. Christ says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think you, because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. All of scripture, all of divine revelation from Old to New Testament speaks of Jesus Christ. It's about one person, and the person is our Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, the story of the Bible. If we were to sum up the story of the Bible, it's of it's a story of the glory of God through the redemptive work of the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ. It's about God getting glory through the redemptive work, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible, saints, is all about Jesus Christ. William Ames has said, the Old and New Testaments are reducible to these two primary heads. The old promises Christ to come, and the new testifies that he has come. Or we can say that the Old Testament promises Christ, and the New Testament reveals Christ. The Old Testament presents to us the glory of Christ through the form of the promised seed. We read in Genesis 3.15, the glorious promise of the Messiah, that the Lord said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God tells the serpent that a seed will come. And we know that the seed whom God is referring to is the second person of the Trinity, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, although in seed form, he's not fully revealed yet, is revealed in the Old Testament. And here in Genesis 3.15, we have what many say is the thesis statement of the Bible. When you write a, ter- a paper, there is a thesis statement that uh, the rest of the paragraphs is going to work out, is going to examine more and bring more to light. Well, the thesis statement of the Bible is this promised seed that will come and crush the head of the serpent. And the rest of the Old Testament is the outworkings of Genesis 3.15. You would say, we can say that the Old Testament is Genesis 3.15 played out, acted out on a cosmic scale. All subsequent revelation serves to unfold this redemptive plan of salvation that the seed will come and crush the serpent's head. And as we move on into the New Testament, we see that the one who was promised in Genesis 3.15, God kept his promise in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So saints, if we want to see Christ, then we are to begin at the place where God has revealed to us his son in his word. We are to see Christ in his word. Do you see Christ in his word daily? And now saints, that doesn't mean that you are to read one psalm of day, one proverb, and then be done with your Bible reading for the day. You can give more of your time to God's word. You can give more of your time to the treasures of Christ that are found in God's word. God's word is not simply reading one verse a day or simply reading uh, the verse of day, the verse of the day from your favorite Bible app. That's not seeking Christ with all of your heart, mind and soul. It's 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 pouring all of yourself into God's word and allowing yourself to see Christ in a way that you've never seen him before and then meditating upon that Christ. Secondly, we see Christ at his church. Jesus says in Matthew 18:20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. 
A lot of bad churches, big churches, love to use this verse and say God is in the midst, but God is not in their midst. God is not in the midst of these churches who do, uh, who distort the gospel, who distort the uh, Christ, who distort his word. But saints, I can say that Christ is present with us now. How can I say that? Because we preach God's word faithfully. We present Christ faithfully. We present the true Christ, the orthodox Christ, the classical creedal Christ. That's who we present to the church. If Christ is to be found, then we must go to the place where Christ meets with his people. And as the word goes forth, the preacher's job, saints, if you want to know what my job is, is to teach and remind you of the glory and greatness of Christ. That is my job to you. It is to preach Christ and him crucified. And as the hearer, you hearing the preached word, you should expect nothing less. You shouldn't want me to come up here and tell you uh, jokes. You shouldn't come up here and want, and, 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 and want me to ramble on for 30 minutes before giving, getting into a text, as some preachers do. Saints, you should, when you come to church, expect to hear of the glories and greatness of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You shouldn't want me to preach to you a man-centered gospel where you are the one who has saved yourself, where you are the one who has mustered up enough faith to choose Christ. You shouldn't be the one, you shouldn't want me to present to you a Christ who is more man-centered or who is more manly and not God glorified. Saints, you should want me, you should desire for me to preach to you Christ and Him crucified. Not a gospel that bigs us up. Not a gospel that speaks of our well-being and who we are. But saints, we are to speak of Christ. And then after we have got, got done with speaking of Christ, we are to speak of Christ again. And then we are to speak of Christ again. Saints, when we consider our Christ, when we consider the preached word, that is to be the reason why you come to church every Lord's Day Sunday, every Lord's Day Sabbath. The preached word is to excite you. It, it is to be the reason why you go to sleep early. It is to be the reason why you wake up on fire to hear God's word. That is to be the reason why you come to church. We are to have a holy reverence as we listen to God's word when God's word is being preached. Saints, we are to have a holy reverence. We are not to take this moment in time lightly. For every Lord's Day, when we preach to you God's word, it's as if God himself is speaking to you. And I'm not saying that I am God of the flesh. Never be. But what I'm saying is, when God's word is preached faithfully, God comes in the midst of his people and speaks to their hearts. He speaks to their souls. We are not to take this moment lightly. When the preacher preaches faithfully God's word, hear this, the congregation actually hears God's word. You see, many preachers, they do a wonderful job of explaining the text. They do a wonderful job of explaining background. They do a wonderful job of giving wonderful application. But saints, the congregation needs more than that. The congregation needs more than just a theological uh, exposition. They need more than just background, but they need to hear a voice within a voice. The congregation wants, desires, you should desire to hear God speaking to you. And I pray that as the word goes forth from this pulpit, that you hear God's word, that you hear the very words of God speaking to your heart through the supernatural agency of the Holy Spirit. When the preacher preaches faithfully, we can say that it is really God who speaks to the congregation. God comes to his people through the declaration of the word by the mouth of broken vessels. And the relationship between the preached word and your seeking of Christ is this, saints. If you're wondering, what's the relationship between the preached word and me seeking Christ? It's simply this. It's I preach to you Christ and him crucified. The preacher's task is to show you where living water is at. I'm to show you the glorious, the glory and the majestic beauty of this living water. And it's the congregation's job to go look for it. That's my job. I showed you this is where the X is at. Now go find it. 
This is who Jesus Christ is. Now go seek him. It's my job to point you to Christ. And it's your job to go build upon what's been said and seek him further. My dad used to say that the preachers of the old days, during his time, they would, um, they would preach a great sermon. And the congregation would come week after week expecting to hear a sermon, but not necessarily a sermon that's uh, going to heighten their view of Christ, but a sermon that's going to get them uplifted, a sermon that's going to get them joyous, a sermon that's going to take them to a place that they've never been before. And, and what he likened to is, with, uh, to is, 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 a, is a junkie going back to his next fix. They don't do nothing else from Sunday to Sunday. Give me God's word Sunday and let me live off that word to next Sunday. But saints, you are to build off that word on Sunday and then come back and be refreshed and saying, I want more. I desire to hear more of this Christ. Saints, we are not to come as junkies. <laughs> and please, I take and please do not take any offense to that because none of you are drug addicts. Okay. But we aren't to have that type of mindset when we approach God's word as if let me get my fix on Sunday, do nothing with God's word throughout the rest of the week and then come next Sunday and preacher, tell me what you give. Give me something. Give me my next high. We aren't to approach God's word that way. Saints, you as the congregation, you are to build upon all that's been said from the preacher. Secondly, we we see Christ by participating in the Lord's Supper. If God's word is, 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 is uh, not enough to get you up in the morning or for the Lord's day, then the Lord's supper should get you up excited. For in the Lord's day, we look back at the life and death of Jesus Christ. Uh, today is my anniversary. And I'm sure that, and we, we are, we've already done it, but I'm sure we're going to be looking at old pictures of the wedding. We're going to be looking at when I proposed to, when I proposed to my wife. We're going to be looking at all these things, probably videos and all this other stuff. But how much more, saints, every Lord's Day, we consider Christ and we look back at the greatest event, the greatest person, the one life, that one perfect life that was lived on our behalf. If an anniversary is enough to get you excited, then how much more should you get excited when you get an opportunity at the Lord's table to look back at your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for you? We have plaques on our walls. We have certificates. That speak of these wonderful accomplishments. And when we have friends over, what do we do? We, we tend to say, oh, yeah, that, that certificate, that was when I was in, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade. I got the most uh, valuable player. Oh, this trophy here. Oh, uh, this is when I won uh, in this bowling league. It's nothing. Or this, or this certificate here. This is when, you know, I was an honor roll for all throughout college. So we tend to do that, saints. And, and, and when we do that, it is glorious, we are to look back on our achievements, but saints, how much more to look back at the achievement of Christ, the greatest achievement that one has ever achieved, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And at the preached word, we get to do that. And at the Lord's Supper, we see that. The Lord's Supper, we visibly see what Christ has done for us. The bread broken for us uh, represents the broken body of Christ. The, the, the wine or the juice poured out in, the, in those cups represents the shed blood that was, that was shed for us, saints. We are to be excited when we come to his table. Saints, this is how we seek after Christ. If we want to know how to seek Christ, this is how we do. Our heart is to be likened to the bride's heart towards her husband in our text this morning. If you want to know how is our heart to be toward Christ, it is to be likened to this bride's heart toward her husband. And as the bride searches for her husband, others question, why is he searching? Verse 9 says, what is your beloved more than another beloved? Or most beautiful among women. What is your beloved more than another beloved that you should thus adjure us? You hear the language here? In other words, what's so special about your husband? How, how has this one caused you to be lovesick? What's so special about him? What is your beloved more than another beloved? Meaning, how is your beloved distinct from all these other beloveds. Look at all these other beloveds here. How is yours distinct? What makes yours different? These daughters of Jerusalem. Although I think that they had a desire to really know 
who this husband is. This speaks, this speaks to us in our current day, though. When we consider the words of these daughters of Jerusalem, saints, is this not the language of the world? When we consider Christ and him crucified, what does the world say? What makes Christ so special? What makes Christianity so unique? What makes your beloved more than another beloved? What makes Christ distinct from Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius? What makes Christ distinct from all these other gods? What makes Christianity distinct from Islam or Mormonism or Judaism? Friends to the world, there is no beauty to Christ. The world doesn't look at Christ and see beauty. The world looks at Christ and they see ugliness. They they mock Christ. They mock our Christ. They, in many ways, spit on our Christ. They speak badly about our Christ. Let me give you one example. There's a play right now that's won all these awards. It's called Jesus Superstar. John Legend is, is one who plays Jesus. They make a mockery of our Lord's person and work. This is what the world does. This is how they see Christ. They see no form of beauty in our Lord. And saints, as long as you're in Christ, you need to understand this, that you will always be misunderstood by the world. As long as you are of the faith, you will always be misunderstood by the world. And saints, I tell you, wear that. Wear it. Don't conform to this world. Don't conform to the Christ that they want you to worship. Don't go to the church that's most alike to the world. You see, that's one of the problems in these larger churches that we see across uh, America on TBN and Daystar and all these other channels where these churches are more alike to how the world wants them to be do, to do church. The songs are not the songs that that. That's that the old uh, dead guys, the old theologians and and during the Reformation and, and during and the post Reformation during to the Puritan era to the reform scholastics to even now to this day. Those are not the songs they sung. Those are not the songs, the hymns that they sung. That's not how they preached the word. And that's how the world wants us to do church saints. They want us, they want us to do church how they want us to do church. Yes, you can have your church, but, but it better conform to our ideas. That is why you see now women being pastors. That is why you see now women being elders. You see now, uh, homosexuals being ordained as ministers because the church is conforming more and more to this world. But saints, We are to look at our Bibles. We are to consider our Christ and say that Christ is leading this church. And since Christ is leading this church, we are not to conform to the world's leading. We are to conform to everything God has prescribed for us in his word. If God has said it, then we are to do it. If God has not said it, then we are to, we are not to do it. Saints, the world will never understand why you are seeking Christ. And saints and young people who are here, I I hope that you understand that. That the world will never understand you. And that's okay. The world will never understand why you're seeking Christ, but that's okay. Because you and the world are seeking two different things. Young people, old people, we are seeking a fountain of living water. The world is seeking broken cisterns. They're seeking water that is dirty, that that cannot sustain them. We are seeking heavenly water. We are seeking heavenly food. We are seeking the heavenly God-man, who is Jesus Christ. But saints, when we see Christ, and when one approaches us as these daughters of Jerusalem approaches this bride, when they ask, how is your beloved different from another beloved? How is your Christ different from this God or this God? We are to point them to the beauty of Christ, which leads us to our final point, which is the beauty of Christ. 
If you were to describe saints, Jesus Christ, in what ways would you describe him? Many of us would mention that he, uh, that he is the God-man, that he is the eternal son who was taken on flesh, that all of what it means to be human, uh, Christ assumes yet without sin. We can mention what he's done in his work, that he has lived a life of a perfect obedience to God's law. That he bore our sins and he, and he took on the wrath of God on the behalf of his people. And he rose on the third day for his people's justification. We could speak about his miracles. We could speak of his parables. And as we come to verses 10 through 16 of our text this morning, we see our Christ being described in the most beautiful of words. As we come to our verses, 10 through 16, the bride is describing her husband. And as the bride is describing her husband, it's as if she gets lost and captivated in the beauty of her husband. I want you to notice that. That as she, as she starts from the head all the way down to the feet, she gets lost in the wonder, in the majestic beauty of who he is. Consider verse 10. My beloved is radiant. And ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. That is to say, my beloved is bright. My beloved is shining. And saints, this speaks of the glory of Christ with respect to his divine nature. And ruddy is an interesting word. It means red. But if we look more into this word ruddy, in the Hebrew, it means man or manly. Saints, this speaks of the uniqueness of Christ with respect to his person. So when we consider verse 10, radiant describes the divine nature of Christ. And ruddy describes the human nature of Christ. Jesus is the God-man. And what verse 10 points out to us is the uniqueness of Christ with respect to his person. Christ is radiant and bright. He's white, as the King James would say, not skin color white, but he's bright as white. This is an expressive, this is expressive of his simplicity, that there is no parts in, in God. This is expressive of his purity. This is expressive of his holiness. And he's ruddy as man. Christ is truly man. And notice what the verse, what the rest of verse 10 says. Distinguished among 10,000. In other words, Christ is one in a million. There's nobody like him. And saints, what distinguishes Christ among others is this. Yes, his work, but also his person. Christ is distinguished by his person. There is no one like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is truly God and truly man. And saints... Isn't that exactly who we needed for our redemption? We needed one who was truly God and truly man. We needed one. We needed the perfect man to represent us for Adam failed. But also we needed one who would add to that work infinite value. We needed the God man. We needed Christ to have both, to be both God and man. Verse 11, his head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. This speaks of the everlasting kingship of Christ. Upon Christ's head, there lays a crown, for Christ is the king. He is the sovereign ruler over all. But notice it says his locks are wavy, black as a raven. This is a beautiful description of our Christ. Because this speaks of the unchanging character of Christ. Christ is unchanging. And that's what's meant when it says his hair is black as a raven. Christ remains the same. His hair doesn't turn gray. His hair never falls out, but speaks of his strength. Christ remains powerful. He remains mighty. When one grows old, what happens to their hair? It it falls out. Your hair color changes. Their strength slowly diminishes, but Christ's power remains the same. His hair remains black. His power, his might remains the same. Verse 12, his eyes are like doves, 
beside streams of water, bathe in milk, sitting beside a full pool. This speaks of the peace of Christ. It speaks of his peaceful character. And saints, what a fitting description this is of our Christ. For Christ is, to the believer, our peace. Christ is our peace, saints. He is peace to us. Christ says to the disciples in John 14, 7, uh, 27, one of my favorite verses, and if you ever get a chance, read Jonathan Edwards' sermon on this verse. He says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. As Christ was going to the cross, his disciples were, were worried about themselves. What's going to happen to us? And what does Christ say? He says, I don't leave you earthly riches. I don't leave you with things that a husband or that one who is going to die would leave their, their children. I don't leave you a will, but I leave you my peace. Christ leaves to his disciples. He leaves to us, his followers, his peace. Christ gives us his peace. What is this peace, saints? It's a peace of knowing that we are truly justified of our sins. It's a peace knowing that when Christ rose from the grave, it signified that we will forever be justified before a holy God. That's the peace that Christ gives. That's the peace that you are to lean upon, that you have been truly justified of your sin. Verse 13, his cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. Now there's a twofold meaning to this description. The first half speaks of the sweet presence of Christ. In the Bible, when the face of God is mentioned, it intends to speak of the presence of God. And here we see the presence of Christ is likened to a bed of spices and mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. That's what the presence of Christ is likened to. Mounds of spices and sweet-smelling herbs. It's to say, saints, that to be in the presence of Christ is to be the sweetest delight to the believer. To be in the presence of Christ is to be delight to our souls. And saints, where Christ is most present with his people is during each Lord's Day service. That's where Christ is most present with his people. As we sing and read scriptures aloud, Christ is present with his people. As we listen to the preached word and as the preached word goes forth, Christ is in the midst of his people. As we participate in the Lord's Supper, Christ is spiritually present with his people. Saints, we need to have that type of perspective as we approach every Lord's Day Sabbath. This is the type of perspective we are to have when we, when we wake up every Sunday, when we get ready for church. We are to see that Christ is going to meet us at church. If, 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 if the president, and if you knew ahead of time was going to be here, how early would you come? Yeah. If the governor was to be here, how early would you come? If you knew that your grandmama, who's never been to church, was to come and she was going to meet you at church, how early would you come? How long would you stay? How much more than saints when we consider Christ, where he meets uniquely with his people every Lord's Day service. We are to take every Sunday seriously. We are to take Lord's Day service seriously. For Christ meets with us in a unique and special way. Unlike any other time, he meets with us. Saints, this is why the Christian soul should desire to see Christ at his church. For when we do, saints, we find the sweet-smelling and pleasing presence of Christ that far surpasses anything that this world can offer. I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself that when I come to church, I always leave feeling better than I did yesterday. I always leave feeling much better than when I woke up. I always leave feeling much better than I did an hour ago. Saints, 
That's a testament to Christ's presence. That's a testament to the Christian seeing Christ in all of his glory, seeking Christ, and when they do, they find him to be a delight to the soul. The psalmist says in chapter 16, your presence, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures of evermore. I say all of that to say this, we are not never, unless we are sick, women giving birth, or any other of those things that are that are serious, we are to never miss church. Under no circumstances, never miss church. Not for a basketball game, not for a baseball game, not for your grandmother who you've not seen in a million years who was coming down and wants to see you between 12, 10 and 12. We are not to miss church, no matter what. And I hope, saints, when you do miss church, for no good reason, you consider, I'm missing, I'm missing Christ. I'm missing an opportunity to be with Christ in a way that he is not with me any other day. I hope you get convicted. I hope you repent of your sins. We are to come to church with this type of seeking. So the first half of this verse speaks of the sweet presence of Christ. And the second half of this verse speaks of the word of Christ. It reads, his lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. This speaks of the weightiness of the words of Christ. Myrrh in this day was costly. It was something of great value. And here we see the words of Christ are likened to something valuable and holy. John Gill says, the words of Christ are pure words free from all pollution, deceit, and human mixtures. Nor are his lips big with his own praises, but with expressions of regard for his Father's glory and are very pleasant, gracious, and graceful. Saints, the word of God to the believer at times may sting. It does sting us. But also, it is to be a lamp to our feet. The word of God does convict us, but also it uplifts us. It, it, it causes us to be joyous in our Christ. The word of God is to be the most pleasant to the believer's eyes, most gracious to the believer's soul, and the most valuable to the believer's life. That's what the word of God is to be for us. And saints, I pray that you can echo the words of, 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 of our Christ or of, of the Song of Solomon when you consider God's word. When you consider God's word, you are to liken it as to myrrh, as something weighty, as something holy, as something valuable. How often do I go into a homes, and I'm a carpet cleaner by trade, and I go into homes and I see people and they have these books of the Bible. And what's on, their, what's on the Bible? Their drink. What's on the Bible? Their remote. What's on the Bible? Dust. Saints, we are to cherish our word. We are to cherish our word. And if not, saints, if you do not, if you do not see God's word as being capturing, as being beautiful, if you don't see Christ in God's word as being holy, as being majestic and glorious, then my challenge or what I would prescribe for you is to slowly read the gospel of John. And you will quickly be captured with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yes, saints, we are to study our Bibles. We are to be scholars in that regard. We are to consider the context. We are to consider who's being spoken of, who's being spoken to. We are to consider the word of God and we are to approach the word of God as scholars and theologians. But saints, we are also to consider the word of God. And when we approach the God, a word of God, we are to approach the word of God as as infants and babes. We are, we are to, to consider the word of God or, or, or we are to seek or when we read the word of God, we are to approach the word of God as a son and daughter. I love you. I love how guys, uh, reform guys love to read their Bibles and, and study and, and, and want to know more about the technicalities of God's word. But saints, how oftentimes do we just need to stop and consider what's actually being said in God's word? And let it meditate in your mind. And let it penetrate your heart. Let the word of God feed your soul. Just read God's word. Yes, study God's word, but 
Read God's word and let it speak to you. We move on, verse 14 through 15. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on the bases of gold. His appearance is like Labian, a choice as the cedars. The bride now moves to the arms, body, and legs of her husband. And how fitting this is, uh, this description it is of our Lord, saints. The arms that, that this bride speaks of, we are to consider the arms of our Christ. The same arms that were stretched out on the cross are now as rods of gold set with jewels. Those same arms are now rods of gold set with jewels. With the arms of Christ, saints, when we consider what he has done, what did he do? He carried our sin to the cross. He carried the cross of Golgotha's hill. And he placed what stretched out arms, our sins. Saints and Adam, we were too weak to carry our own sins. But Christ, it was befitting for him to carry our sin. For he was the only one who was fitted He was the only one who was powerful, who was mighty to carry our sins, to have his arms stretched out with the full weight of every elect person's sins on him, with the full weight of the wrath of God abiding on him. He stretched out his arms. And now they are rods of gold bedecked with jewels. Christ's body is, is as polished ivory, it's, it reads. The same body that was beaten, bloodied, and bruised. That same body. The same body that was whipped. The same body that was, that was beaten on, that was spit on. The same body that the soldiers pierced with a spear is now bedecked with sapphires. That body. And saints, this language of, this language speaks of Christ's exaltation of the right hand of the Father. It speaks of Christ's body, which once was frail and weakened, is now bright and glorious. And lastly, Christ's legs are alabaster columns set on the basis of gold. This speaks of the strength and power of Christ. Christ, in his work of redemption, was given the Holy Spirit without measure to carry out all that the Father had laid before him in the covenant of redemption. But now we see that those same legs that carried our burdens, those same legs that carried the weight of our sin is now trampling down our enemies. Those same legs, those same feet is the one whom all our enemies are coming under. And lastly, we see the last description that the bride gives to her husband. And saints, this last description is indeed the sweetest of them all. It says, his mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. She says, he is altogether desirable. But I love the way the King James puts it. If you have a King James, it reads this. He is altogether lovely. It's as, it's as if she couldn't no longer muster up any elegant word to speak of her husband. And she ends it with, he's altogether lovely. I, I cannot no longer speak of, my, of the, the glory of my husband, of the beauty and the loveliness of my husband. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, what more can I say? He's altogether lovely. Spurgeon put it so beautifully as he always does. He says, she, the bride, proceeds with due order, commencing at the head, starting at the head, and proceeding with the, device, the, the diverse parts of the person of the beloved. She breaks down her beloved. She goes from the head all the way down to the feet. But then she warms up. She glows. She flames. And, and at the last, the heat which had for a while been repressed is like fire within her bones. And she bursts forth in flaming words. Here is the live coal from from off the altar of her heart. 
What beautiful language that is. Here is the live call off the altar from her heart. Yes, he is altogether lovely. It is an utterance. It is the utterance of the soul that is altogether overcome with admiration and therefore feels that in attempting to describe the well-beloved, it has undertaken a task far beyond its power. I especially love that line. In, in the bride's description of her husband, hear this, has undertaken a task far beyond its power. What a beautiful way to end a description of our Christ and when we speak of our Christ. And saints, as we connected the description of the bride's husband to our Christ, we must not think that this description of our Christ sums him up. We are not to think that all that we have said this morning sums up the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We aren't to think that the language of Song of Solomon, chapter 5, as poetic and beautiful as it may sound, truly touches the loveliness of our Christ. For it does not. This beautiful language does not, it dares not, touches the loveliness of who Jesus Christ is in his person. Saints, our Christ's beauty is incomprehensible. His person and work is incomprehensible. Sure, we can describe who our Christ is. We can speak of Christ in many ways, and we can use beautiful language to do so. We can use theological language to do so, but saints, we must always end with this. He is always so much more. He is this. But don't get it confused. As if I, with my words, contained him. For Christ is uncontainable. There's always so much more to what our words can speak of. Jesus Christ is always higher than our highest thoughts of him. He is always deeper than our deepest thoughts of him. He far transcends our thoughts. He far transcends our words and how beautiful we can put him together. And saints, this is the Christ who I present to you this morning. This Christ who is incomprehensible. This Christ who is lovely, but don't think that by me saying him's lovely truly puts the essence and sum and substance of his loveliness. He is more than that. And saints, as we close, how must we live in light of this sermon? As we close, how must we consider this sermon and then live in light of it? Here's one application. Seek Jesus Christ. Seek Jesus Christ. Seek Christ often. Seek Christ daily. And saints, the great promise to those who seek Christ is this, that when you see Christ, the Lord will be found. That's the great promise of seeking Christ. When you seek him, he will be found. And saints, when you truly find Jesus Christ, when you truly see him, when you truly find our person, Jesus, this person, Jesus Christ, your eyes will look on the one who is altogether lovely. Let's pray.